Hey, as we wrap up the year, we're asking our readers and listeners to sustain the Sprawl's work into 2023 by supporting us financially. This is what makes our in-depth journalism possible. And what better way to have seasonal feelings of warmth and good cheer than supporting your local independent news outlet? Seriously, when you sign up as a Sprawl member, you'll feel good about it. Join us today at sprawlcalgary.com. The next stop, Sprawlcast. You're listening to Sprawlcast. My name is Jeremy Clausus, and I'm the editor-in-chief of The Sprawl. And Sprawlcast is an urban affairs show for curious Calgarians who want more than the daily news grind. This show is made in collaboration with CJSW 90.9 FM in Calgary. And we are broadcasting slash podcasting from Treaty 7 territory. We go deep to bring you local stories you won't find anywhere else. Calgary has a really cool identity that's somehow hidden, somehow defensive, somehow not acknowledged even by the people here. I I often see Calgary as like the youngest sibling in a family that's always like trying on this, like trying to emulate the older siblings and trying to become this other person. We're only three people who have our versions of what this big city identity is. It's not something we actually don't could really know an answer to. But it's interesting to me how complicated that question is. Here we are at the end of 2022. It's a time of year that prompts a little looking back and looking ahead, too. A time of reflection. A time to ask, who have I been this year? And who do I want to be in the year ahead? We ask these kinds of questions every year as individuals. But we also kind of ask them as cities, too. You just heard Sam Hester and Jimena Gonzalez. Jimena is the Sprawl's urban affairs writer, and Sam is our comics artist. Those are the voices behind many of the stories that so many of you enjoy reading in the Sprawl. And we're going to hear from them a little later in the show. But first, I want to do a little year in review. One of my favorite Sprawlcast interviews from 2022 was a conversation I had in February with Jared Wesley. He's a political scientist at the University of Alberta, and he leads something called the Common Ground Project. It's a group of researchers who are digging into the political culture of Western Canada. They look at what binds people in the West together, and where and why they diverge. And here's something they do as part of their project. They ask people to draw an Albertan. Here's how Jared Wesley explained it to me on Sprawlcast in February. We asked them to draw us an Albertan. We don't say average Albertan. We say just draw us an Albertan. The first thing that pops into your mind, draw that. And they actually get quite creative and and in-depth. And they're drawing from their own, a lot of them drawn from their own personal experience with people that look like the people that they drew. But what we found, um, I guess what was most startling when we did this was the you know, the ubiquity of three different personas, the, you know, the, the persistence of three different personas in the minds of Albertans as to who is the quintessential member of their community. It was either a roughneck, uh, a redneck, or a cowboy, right? So somebody who works on, on the rigs, a farmer, or, or, some, or a rancher. 
Um, and I guess it was probably most eye-opening when we started piloting this on university campuses across the, the province. I remember walking into uh, a classroom in, in Grant McEwen full of students and, and two young women sitting on opposite ends of the room drew exactly the same person with exactly the same name. His name was Joe. <laughs> so I said, well, this is interesting. Uh, do you two know each other? And they said, well, no, just in class. I asked them both, you know, who did you draw? And they said, oh, well, I drew my dad. And they both drew their dad. And I was like, okay, you're not sisters. No, 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 that, that's my dad. He's wearing plaid. You know, we had a little bit of a laugh. But then you started to see light bulbs go off in the room where these were, you know, two young women who by most, you know, uh, by most measures would be typical, at least in the Edmonton community, who drew something that did not look like them. And there was, you know, very few people in our focus groups that actually draw themselves as Albertans. And that, that's a bit disturbing to me, right? And, and that people of color, women, um, uh, you know, younger people would draw that, you know, stereotypical Joe Alberton, 55 or 30 to 50 year old um, man in plaid. Um, and that, that to me, it suggests that there's a real disjunction between who Albertans actually are and who they think they are. I loved that interview with Jared Wesley because we got into the nuances of the polarization that we're seeing across so much of our society. I think there's so much to explore there, especially when it comes to the differences between who we are and who we think we are. Speaking of which, the sprawl went through some identity questions of its own this summer. I joked with a friend the other day that the sprawl has had a continual existential crisis since it launched five years ago. But seriously though, I went through a process of trying to really discern what the sprawl should be doing and where it should be focusing. It had become rather scattershot in its approach, doing a lot of one-off stories on a range of issues, both municipally and provincially. They were good stories, but the whole operation lacked focus. September marked the Sprawl's fifth anniversary, and it also marked a renewed focus for the Sprawl on in-depth Calgary journalism, focusing specifically on urban issues. Rather than trying to cover so much with one-off stories, we started digging into one issue at a time like the sprawl did in its early days, when it was still a pop-up experiment. This fall, we did editions on three issues, urban sprawl, density, and transit. And it's been awesome to see that this renewed local focus is resonating with Calgarians, the most downloaded sprawlcast of the year was a very local story that kind of straddled two of these topics, density and transit. I'm talking about the November episode titled The Battle of Banff Trail, which dug into a bitter struggle over redevelopment and multifamily housing in that neighborhood. I think the biggest takeaway is that our system is just so fundamentally broken. And I think that what you see in Banff Trail, you see throughout the city of Calgary, you see throughout communities in like throughout North America. I mean, you look at a lot of the housing politics happening in California or Minnesota or Washington state, and it's just the same thing over and over again. And um, I, I think we just fundamentally need to rethink uh, how much, uh, what's, what's the term? How much, um, how much control existing residents should have over 
long-term decisions about housing in their communities. Like, why is it that we're so scared of multifamily housing? Like, we need to talk about why we have this idea that people in single-family homes cannot live anywhere proximate to people in any other form of dwelling. You just heard Catherine Davies from the Sprawlcast episode, The Battle of Banff Trail. But the most read sprawl story of 2022 was not a sprawlcast. Our most read story of the year was Jimena Gonzalez's piece on the absurd experiences of captive Calgary transit riders. A story about how it takes so long to get anywhere on the bus, and how people who don't have a car need to plan their lives around this excruciating system. That story triggered a flood of responses. Everyone had their own transit story to share. I asked Jimena why that story resonated so deeply with so many Calgarians. And she said that it's because we often forget about the basics in this city. We get so distracted by visions of the future that we neglect basic things, like reliable bus service. I, I, I think... We rarely talk about it. We complain about it. And then we talk about, I mean, the official discourse in a way is the future and how much better it's going to be and all these lovely things. While in the meantime, we are waiting in a, at a bus stop without a shelter when it's minus 29, right? And it's always been like, okay, you just deal with it. Um, and I feel like actually the people I spoke to their stories weren't even that shocking. It's pretty commonplace for anyone who has to take transit to work or to school. That's what we experience every day, right? So in a way, it's like nobody was looking at something because it's just normal, right? And we are waiting for the dream to come, like the green line or the density that's going to change the transit system forever. But in the meantime, we just accept what we have. Well, I think one of the things that really stuck with me and that was removed from my story. Who would do that? <laughs> oh, those editors. They, they must those be terrible. Editors. Uh, yeah, like I think it would be how the Green Line uh, might be uh, taking, like stealing some of the oxygen out of uh, the system as a whole, right? Because it obviously sounds... I mean, it's a much more flashy and ambitious project to have this new train and the new cars and all the stuff that goes around it rather than, hey, we're going to have your bus is going to come often now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That doesn't have the same. It's not exciting. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, I, I don't know. That's something that I wish I had been able to uh, get into more. The Sprawl also experimented with a new comics format this fall. Sam Hester has been writing comics for The Sprawl for a while, over five years now, after she first came to a Sprawl election party and then spontaneously wrote a comic about it. But we wanted to freshen up the format, and so Sam did a series for our transit edition called Ride of the Day, where she wrote one panel a day about a different Calgary transit ride, different buses and trains and maintenance vehicles and what have you. But what was really cool about this is she wasn't doing it alone. She got a lot of in-house help 
from her 13-year-old son, Alec, who's a bit of a transit nut. Okay, not a bit of one. Alec is a big-time transit nut. And Sam also went back to using analog tools. I think when I started writing comics for The Sprawl a long time ago, I was using my usual old way of just drawing with markers and pencils on a piece of paper. And then I got into the the style of just drawing digital comics for a long time. And this was getting really old for me. Like, it just felt like, it at the time when I first started it, it felt like fresh and new and kind of cool and fun because it was sort of just an easy way to draw things quickly and get them out quickly. But the style was getting to be just, it didn't feel as... Mm, it didn't it didn't felt like a more of a chore and less of a fun creative thing to do so just going back to the style of just drawing with my pencil quick sketchy sketches on a piece of paper and then even to do that like just one for that day like just one panel and not having to write a whole story this sort of unleashed a whole different like excitement for me to just being able to just tackle one small thing in the moment that I thought of it instead of having to make a bigger longer project that I had to give more thought to ahead of time so that, that whole thing about the format was really working well. And then when you talked about the idea of some transit comics, because I have a son who really likes transit stuff, right away I was like, well, I could do one every day because like, I'm sure we could think of at least 30 different transit subjects. And indeed, we certainly could. <laughs> Which was impressive because when you said like, oh, one a day for 30 <laughs> days, I was like, really? You're going to come up with 30? Are if, you sure? <laughs> if only you knew how many transit facts there are that you didn't even know. <laughs> I figured you were going to run out at like 17 or something. <laughs> no, we had, to cut, we had to cut them down. We thought of so many. And then we had to like cut down the ones that were just like too complex for like a single panel. Like if you had to explain the whole thing about how do the, the C-train system signals work and how that compares to other signaling systems that other LRT systems in Canada use. Like that is a very interesting subject in my household, but like that had to get cut from the series because it was just a little too much for one, one panel a day. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we stuck be, to the buses on the trains. That could be a future sprawl edition. Yes, we like, have we've already been uh, hoping that will be <laughs> in my in my house we have some uh, plans for that. <laughs> a C-train signaling yes, edition yes. specifically <laughs> on the signaling system. Yes, I'm not uh, joking. That that's a, a possibility. If if readers are interested, let us know. We yeah, yeah. we really could do that. Okay, so trains aside, there's a lot to get into when we look ahead to 2023. There always is. It always seems like there's too much to cover, and where do you even start? The challenge for us at The Sprawl is narrowing it down to some topics we can really dig into. And one of the topics we have on our agenda for 2023 is gentrification. Here's Jimena Gonzalez. I think gentrification is a problem that we should start getting worried about, um, especially as um, <laughs> the unaffordability is uh, increasing everywhere across the country. So we are just about to get it here. And it's important to see what role the city itself plays in um, like setting the conditions in which gentrification, a.k.a. revitalization, is going to thrive and how it doesn't really have the tools to address it. I think that's a very uh, important issue because you shouldn't be able to break something if you can't fix it. Mm -hmm. And that seems to be one of the greatest challenges. And it's coming, right? Mm -hmm. It's not Absolutely. a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Yeah. So it's time we start talking about it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it, it's interesting. Like, we just had a civic election in 2021. 
I don't know that I heard anybody talking about gentrification. I could be wrong, but I don't, it wasn't a, mm. it wasn't an issue really that emerged. No, no. And if we do anything, we talk about how we need to support the nonprofits that build affordable housing. And then that affordable housing gets built in the outskirts of the city where it is more cost effective to build. So you can build more units in a cheap piece of land than you can in a, in an inner city neighborhood like Bridgeland, um, where the land is very expensive because it's highly desirable. So we prefer to give people with money a choice of living in these nice, well-served communities. Mm -hmm. And poor people, they just have to live where it's cost-effective. And where the transit is bad. And where <laughs> the transit, yeah. I know, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, it's... Uh, it is so challenging and we just don't talk about it nearly because the problem hasn't been here. It has not been as bad as Toronto or as Vancouver, where things have really taken uh, a size that it's really difficult to manage and it has not been solved. It really has not been solved anywhere. So we should start talking about it rather than trying to attract all the people mm -hmm. to come to Calgary's relative affordability because that's just going to erode it for the people who are already here. Speaking of gentrification, I was at the bookstore the other day browsing the graphic novel section, and I came across a new anthology of Alberta comics. I hadn't heard of it before, and of course the first thing I did was scan the table of contents to see if Sam Hester was in there. And sure enough, there she was. Yeah, that was an anthology of a bunch of different, yeah, lots of, lots of Alberta comics makers in the past couple of years that contributed stories about um, the, the theme of the edition was home. So you just had to write something about your home and everybody who wrote uh, in that piece was from Alberta. And uh, so I had to think of a story and my story was about this owl that moved into a tree in my next door neighbor's backyard a couple of years ago because it just was so cool. And then it made me, at least my kids got a little more tired of like me being obsessed with watching an owl every day but I just didn't get bored of like looking at this owl and wondering about like what it was doing there maybe it had been there for the last 20 years and I just never looked there before like what's going on in the trees in my neighborhood that I didn't know and after seeing that owl I gave it so much more attention to like there's a family of hawks that live in the tree just a little bit down down from there this summer and uh, there's some ospreys that have a nest just in the you know, a few blocks farther away. So I'm just thinking about all the birds that live in the trees in Calgary. And I'm just seeing those trees getting knocked down when new infills get built. And sometimes these infills are great because like the houses in my neighborhood are old and maybe they need to be replaced, but the trees go too. And I feel concerned about that. But here's how we're going to kick off 2023. In January, we're going to do an edition on Calgary's civic identity. What shapes our city's identity and how it's changing? I think it's our, about our city's aspirations and how we kind of, we're trying to reject the cowboy identity and the things, the negative things that for sure are associated with it. But at the same time, we forget about other things that as we were talking about are good. And we, we're not seeking to be the most equitable city in Canada. Why aren't we? Why don't we want to base our identity in those things, right? Instead, we want to become yet another Silicon Valley or yet another Austin and ignore all the problems. Uh, but it's like, I, I do think this has been a 
a recurring issue for our city. Um, and if the cowboy identity has survived, there must be something of value there that mm -hmm. we can work with. Uh, but yeah, I think in essence, it's just what are the aspirations? Who do we aspire to be? Mm -hmm. I, I often see Calgary as like the youngest sibling in a family that's always like trying on this, like trying to emulate the older siblings and trying to become this other person without looking at what are the assets or what are, mm. are kind of the features mm. that make this young sibling special on its own. So I always say like, oh yeah, looking up at Toronto, Toronto's doing this. Oh, we're going to do it too. And then it's just, if we do or not, like it doesn't matter because we are not special. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I'm that's, that's rambling. interesting. No, but, it, <laughs> no. but it's true. It's like this, this, uh, insecure the civic mm -hmm. insecurity constantly yes, right yes maybe yeah. that's a good way to put it yeah Calgary civic insecurity <laughs> so it's like it has to be a new arena or it has to be yeah yes. you know we're the next tech hub or it has to be one of these things that kind of infuse us with a new or reinvigorated identity but like I, I always think like there's a gravitational pull with all this stuff towards like sameness yeah like it's like it's not like it's not looking at okay what makes calgary distinct what kind of idiosyncratic history do we like this cowboy thing or, yeah etc we have these motifs but it's like no let's like kind of converge on like this utopian city that you know, is built around tech. I, I don't know. That's and that my... it's bland. Yeah, it's a little bit, it's also a little bit like when you go to an all-inclusive resort and all the food is bland, so that way nobody complains. Mm. Uh, so it's kind of like, eh, it's palatable for the largest number of people. And that's kind of what Calgary wants to be like, oh yeah, it's palatable to live here. Mm -hmm. It's not special. It's not unspecial, but yeah, it's just... Man, I don't know. I I think <laughs> when I think about Calgary's identity and this like civic insecurity, I really think about how Calgarians maybe sometimes Calgarians are defensive a bit about like you know they're kind of always on their guard that somebody's going to criticize them because they're used to getting mm -hmm. criticism from those other cities out there or those other people from around the world who are like, oh, you live in that cow town without any culture or history or mm -hmm. you have whatever, you know, our city has that your Calgary doesn't have. And this is like a long time ago. Everybody's talked about this already, but I know when Mayor Ninshi first got elected and it was the year when like the flames and the Oilers were in the playoffs. I can't even remember. There was like a bunch of stuff that was happening in Calgary and lots of people were paying attention. Like what's going on in that city that we thought was this cow town? And people in Calgary felt like, at least from what I felt at that time, like they were proud and they were kind of surprised to be proud. Like, yeah, didn't you know? Like we have we have some cool stuff. And it, actually, I thought of that earlier in this conversation when you talked about the transit uh, story that you wrote, Jimena, when mm -hmm. people were asked about like, what's it, what's it like to be using transit in Calgary after 12 years? Somebody's asking you and like talking about the normal experience. And people were like surprisingly into this subject. Like they were surprisingly wanting to talk about it and say like this is what we've been experiencing and didn't you know and I I don't know how that ties together but just the idea that that Calgarians want to like Calgarians are proud and have a strong sense of their identity mm -hmm. but they could get fooled into thinking they have to have this bland right you know road to follow that everybody thinks it should be like but maybe if you could somehow 
oh, somehow find those mm-hmm. places where it sparks through. Like there's something really cool there yes. mm-hmm. that is already right there. We just have to somehow acknowledge m- it and embrace yeah, it. Yeah, let mm-hmm. let it let it come out somehow in places that people are comfortable. Like yeah. the transit questions, people people were comfortable to talk about that. Like they wanted to talk about that. They wanted mm-hmm. to express their concerns about that. And maybe there's other places that people could. Yeah, there's my long ramble, but I think it's Calgary has a really cool identity that's somehow hidden, somehow mm-hmm. defensive, somehow not acknowledged even by the people here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Totally. Yeah, it's like <laughs> this. It, it, it. I think there is a defensiveness, and there's like a. I I think sometimes we forget that like lately I've been thinking about just like Calgary is so big. This mm. is a big city, <laughs> like it's huge, like geographically, yeah. but also mm-hmm. like population wise, and like if you look at a map and it's like. I don't know. I often think about like how Calgary, just Calgary, has more people living it, living in it than the entire state of Montana. What? And I'm like, how's that That's possible? That's crazy. <laughs> hmm. And like, I yeah. don't know. I think of well, and one thing that I think about often is how Calgary is many cities. Mm. You know, when I'm uh, talking to Farcad in the hmm. deep south. Yeah, a, a <laughs> photographer friend of ours. Our photographer, does, yeah. yes, and. Um, yeah, it's a different city. Mm. You you don't exp- like my our Calgary really as inner city dwellers is much different. To... Yeah, but that but that's okay. Like I remember when oh, I lived yeah. in Toronto, I would drive to one cool neighborhood and I'd just say, "This is cool." You drive out and there, there was another cool neighborhood, and you yeah. go a little farther, and it was another cool neighborhood. Yeah. And it's supposed to in Calgary, where I felt like, well, there's this one place where things were happening, and then it was just the suburbs. Like that's right. not the case in Calgary anymore. There's multiple cities in in the city. I feel like there always have we just yeah for sure because we can't also like I feel like the suburbs like mm. it just has mm-hmm. this negative connotation Mm -hmm. and I was reading this very interesting book earlier in the year related to a story I wrote (laughs) I think for this bro (laughs) anyway it's like how you didn't really like maybe the houses look the same outside but they don't look the same inside right there is character and once you like as a this is like the story from like a kid's point of view so it's like once you went in there and you knew the people you could see how things were like there's always been nuance we've just kind of neglected it and it's interesting because in a way, if you think of Calgary, we have this facade of blandness, but in the inside, totally. it was, it's where fun things happen, right? Mm. So maybe it's about like changing that facade. And here's a little sneak peek of Sam's upcoming comics series for January. When we talked about the city's identity, I was thinking about how there's so many things that individuals use in their kind of placemaking, naming of the things they do in the city like they like how can I I'll give an example that there's one road that my kids and I often drive along when we're trying to skip going on the big highway and we just call it the secret road because it's just this little road off to the side and I won't tell you which road it is because everybody has a secret road everybody has like their their name for some place that of course it has an official name in some city plan but your family calls it oh you know the tobogganing hill or the the secret road or whatever And we all navigate with names like that that we just give ourselves for things based on our own experience of what what happened in that place or what we use it for. And how common is that? And how does that shape the way, yeah, we communicate, the way we think about those places? So I don't know everybody's, but I could give a few examples of the ones that I know about. It may be a little, maybe fun to explore. Like what do people, what do people call their, their city? Here's another example. There's a spot of grass near my house where my son and I like to play catch. 
and it's kind of a funny-shaped oblong green space in our neighborhood, an unofficial park of sorts, and we call it the Polo Grounds, after a funny-shaped oblong baseball stadium in New York City. That stadium doesn't exist anymore, but it's one of the legendary historic ballparks in baseball, and so this is our own little local riff on that. No one else calls it that, so far as I know, but for us, it's the Polo Grounds. And it's funny how giving it a name kind of makes it into something you're more connected to. I walked by the other night and there was a little pop-up skating rink and a fire pit. It warmed my heart to see others discovering and enjoying the polo grounds. And when I got home, I said, Son, some kids are playing hockey at the polo grounds right now. And he was out the door in a flash. So, we're curious. What are your little corners of the city like that? What are those nooks of the city that are shared spots, but are also somehow yours? maybe by way of an unofficial name like the Secret Road or the Polo Grounds. These spots that somehow make a city. Sam is looking for material, so send us your story. You can email us at hello at sprawlcalgary.com or send us a message on social media. Well, that's it from the Sprawl for 2022. But before I sign off... I want to celebrate just one more highlight of the year. You, the people who listen to this podcast, the Calgarians who are curious about this place that we call home and who care about this city. I've got to be honest, doing independent journalism can be an uphill struggle at times. Sometimes it seems foolish. We send it out into the world in hopes that it'll resonate with someone somewhere in this city. It can be lonely work, but it always lifts my spirits to know that our team's work is being received warmly on the other end. And our team feels that warmth from you all year long. I'm thinking about the encouraging comments we get on social media about our stories. I'm thinking about the expressions of gratitude I hear when I meet a sprawl reader or listener for the first time. And I'm thinking about the 1,500 Sprawl members who make the whole thing happen by pitching in a few dollars to support the work that our team does. You are the people who make the Sprawl happen, so thank you. And hey, you know what I'm going to say. If you're not supporting the Sprawl right now, we'd love to have you join us. We're hoping to grow our membership in 2023, and we could use an early start on that. You can sign up at sprawlcalgary.com. After five years, I can't believe I still get to do this. I can't believe this is my job. Digging into meaningful stories about my own community for people who care about it. It truly is a wonderful life. End of line. Thanks for listening and see you again soon. listening to Sprawlcast. My name is Jeremy Clausus and I'm the editor-in-chief of The Sprawl. And on this episode, you heard The Sprawl's urban affairs writer, Jimena Gonzalez, and our comics artist, Sam Hester. 
You also heard clips from my conversations with Jared Wesley and Catherine Davies. Go check out those episodes if you haven't heard them already. The one with Jared Wesley is called How Alberta's Political Culture Is and Isn't Changing. And the one with Catherine Davies is The Battle of Banff Trail. This episode was edited by Mike Todd. And a big thank you to Mike for always making our work sound so good. Our theme music is by Dan Agostino and Kenny Murdoch. Our C-Train narrator is Holly McConnell. Thanks for listening and see you in 2023.